can sense in this room just the nature of this place in that many of you guys uh, obviously will not be here long, long term. You're going to be going either because you're at the beginning of your journey in life or because uh, you're here to be trained and sent somewhere else. I very much want to put a seed inside of you that wherever you go in five years, 10 years, 15 years, wherever you would be, that you would see the church properly and be a part of helping shape uh, the next generation of church. You would be a part of shaping wherever you may go, that you would uh, engage the church and really help shape uh, the church as God intended it to be. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Uh, and I love your pastors. I really do mean that. It's, uh, I, I was so happy that we were able to come and hang out today. And uh, my family's still sleeping. They're on West Coast time, so it's... It's only 8 o'clock. That's nowhere near, near wake-up time for my wife and kids. Uh, um, the spiritual ones have already been up since 4 praying, but my <laughs> family just sleeps. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members. Here's a phrase I'm going to talk about. Household of God. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, before you got saved, uh, you were outside of the house of God. But when you got saved, when you got redeemed, when you got forgiven, when you accepted the work that Christ did on the cross, you were brought in and you're no longer a foreigner. You're now a member of a household of God. I believe deeply in the local church deeply in the local church. I through and through. If you were to really if you were to really ask me at my core what I burn for, I want to see revival. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I, I want to see a move of God in our day, marked by his presence and power that awakens the church, that that causes a deep love for Jesus, that sees the harvest come in and society transformed. I want to see revival. But what I'm convinced about is that God uses the local church, that the local church is the vehicle, those local gatherings. Um, through which revival comes. Uh, a lot of people uh, have different views on the local church. A lot of people right now, there's a very kind of like, uh, the local church is the problem, and they're a little anti-local church. And, and I get that the local church isn't perfect, but I am convinced that the local church is what God moves through, these local gatherings of believers. Whether it's in a house church or a mega church, whatever, God, God, this is where he wants to, that the role of the local church, both in the life of a believer, but also in the life of a city and a community, is really critical. But I, I believe if the local church is truly going to fulfill its mandate and the call, we have to shift our perspective slightly. Um, I, 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 I really believe that the Lord wants to just shift our perspective in a way that we don't even know we need it to be shifted. And I, I don't know if you've ever like looked at something and kind of had a hard time making out what it is until you changed your angle, just even just a little bit. And when you changed your angle, all of a sudden you could see clearly what it is that you're looking at that you had a hard time making out before. This is what I believe God wants to do. I believe he wants to just shift something in us. And it is around this issue. It's around this issue. That the church is a family, not a business. Now, now, again, I'm not even sure we fully know we need that shift. But, but God wants to shift it from the church is not a, a, a business, it's a family. Now, I would say that we all agree with that. Uh, in theory, we agree with that. We applaud that. We desire that. We long for that. I'm just not sure we really follow that line of thinking out 
to where we find out if it's a family, there's something required of me. There's something required of me. Like if it's a family, it affects how I live then. And if you don't see the church properly, you'll engage it incorrectly and you'll get frustrated. There's a lot of people frustrated with the church simply because they see it wrong and so they engage it wrong. Again, how I perceive something. So if I'm looking at something, how I perceive that or how I see that determines for me how I'm going to engage and interact with it. So if I see it one way, I'm going to engage or interact with it a certain way. And therefore, if I see it wrongly, if I perceive it incorrectly, then my engagement interaction will be wrong. And, and there's a lot of frustration or confusion in the local church simply because we don't see it properly. And so we're trying to engage with it a certain way. Uh, I, the illustration I would use a little bit is like, like I'm, a, um, I'm a big customer service guy. I, I, like, I don't throw a fit if I don't get good customer service. I'm not that guy. But I like good customer service, and I expect it. Like when I go to a restaurant, I want good customer service. And uh, have you ever been to uh, anybody from England? Okay. I don't want to offend all of England. But <laughs> we go to England every year, have a church in England, very passionate about the UK and Europe. England has the worst customer service you've ever been to. It's unbelievable. It is like you're an inconvenience for showing up and spending money there. It's just the craziest thing. So this may just be an American thing, but when I show up somewhere, I'm expecting, you know, this is my God-given American right to have good customer service. So when I come into a restaurant, if I walk into a restaurant and, you know, they sit me down and it takes 10 or 15 minutes for somebody to finally get over Give me a menu and give me some water and check on me. Again, I don't get mad and talk to a manager. I just remember and don't come back. If I'm there and, and I specifically ask the waiter or waitress, I'd like this meal and please don't put any tomatoes in it because I can biblically from the book of Revelation back up that tomatoes are somehow tied into the Antichrist. <laughs> somehow they're involved in the beast. But... Um, if I say, please don't put any tomatoes in my dish, and they bring a meal out and there's tomatoes in there, I don't get mad, I don't get upset, I push them off to the side, and I just don't come back. <laughs> right? So, so I'm, because it's a restaurant, I'm there, I'm paying money, and I'm expecting something from, my, from me coming in and paying money. But the problem comes in when I approach other things like that. Can you imagine if I approached my house like that? First of all, I'm going to tell you right now, I legitimately have like a, a godly fear of my wife. So I have a little bit of a holy fear of my wife that I would never do this because it wouldn't go well. But can you imagine if I came into my house, walked into my door, sat down at my table, and then sat there wondering why nobody was bringing me water or checking on me? And after 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like, is anybody going to bring me water? Like from around the house, no, no, no. Get your own water. Get up. <laughs> I cannot believe this. This is, um, this is I will, I'm never going to come back here again. This is the last time I ever bring my money here. Like, it, like it's problematic. It doesn't make sense. Can you imagine if my wife brought a meal out that had tomatoes in it? And, and I, I'm like, I specifically said no tomatoes. I asked for no tomatoes. I am going to take my business elsewhere. I'm never coming back. It doesn't work 
because it's a house, not a restaurant. If I approach my house as if it's a restaurant, it creates problems and is confusing. It's not a restaurant. It's a house. It's a place where family is. It's a place where engagement happens. It's not, I'm not looking for good customer service in that moment because that's not, that, it's not what it is. Are you tracking with me on this? The Bible says that we are members of a household of God, that, that we belong to a household. Now, again, some of this you come by naturally because the American church is just in a very consumer mentality. They don't even, just because we're in a consumer society, they're working very hard to get you to make sure that they give you your money and they'll do whatever they can to, to, to have you keep coming so you'll pay money. And so we naturally fall into that trap. But you've got to understand, guys, the church is not a, it's not a restaurant. It's a house. It's not a business. It's a family. This is why for us, when we planted our church four years ago, when you plant a church, church, is, church consists of culture and community. Church consists of building community and a culture that you're establishing, whether it's the culture of the presence or, or authenticity or the supernatural, whatever culture you're establishing. And, and, and uh, when you build culture, it, uh, you're looking for language or you're looking for like common stories or analogies or language that you can use. So when we began to speak around this thing of church as a family, one of the things we quickly talked about was that means every time we gather, it's Thanksgiving. We want every time we gather to be Thanksgiving. Here's why, I, here's why I use Thanksgiving. I come from a home, I don't know how many of you are like me, I come from a home that is very, I, I am not connected to my extended family. Like my extended family is just dysfunctional, messed up, and kind of disowned both my parents. So, so when I grew up, it was me, my sister, my mom, and my dad. That was our holidays, that was our birthdays, that was kind of it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, um, uh, Thanksgiving would just be us around a table. Christmas, again, I don't know if anybody comes from a, a family that doesn't have. Christmas was, it, it would be like uh, my dad would open his gift and we'd sit there and we'd look at it and we'd talk about it and we'd discuss it, write a little thank you note for it, spend some time on it. And then my mom would open her gift and we'd look at it and talk about it and discuss it. Then my sister. And so when I married my wife, I married into a completely different family, and, and we love all of them, but her dad's been married multiple times, and mom's been married, so there's like, I, I, I think there's something like eight or nine siblings, she's an only child between her parents, but then there's like uh, four step, four half, we love all of them, multiple cousins, all that type of stuff, so I remember the first time I showed up to Christmas, I walked in, I'm 19, I'm just starting to date her. And we're pretty serious. And I, she goes, come down to Christmas. So I come down to Christmas. And first of all, there was like 40 people in the living room. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on right now? What is this? This is Christmas. Really? And so we're kind of hanging out. And, and, and I'm trying to get to know people. And I am, I'm not making this up right now. I said, who's that guy? She goes, oh, that's my brother Dave. I said, oh, okay. Is that, is that on your dad's side? Is that your stepmom's side? Like, like. Who's he belong to? And she goes, neither, really. I said, well, well how, is, how is he your brother? I, I'm not making this up. She goes, you know, I'm not really sure. He just started showing up when he was a teenager. And uh, he's been coming ever since, and we call him brother now. And I'm like, that's not even legal. You can't. 
He sure shouldn't be at Christmas. What? And I remember I, I opened my, fr- I, I, like they gave me a gift. I'm like, thank you so much. And I began to open my gift and I look up and like 10 other people were opening their gifts at the same time. I was like, whoa, whoa. I haven't finished opening my gift. We haven't talked about it, discussed it. We haven't like written a thank you. You can't just, this is, I said, CJ, you are in a family of anarchists. I married into an anarch, this is insane. But because of this dynamic, Thanksgiving quickly became my favorite holiday. I'd never experienced Thanksgiving like this. We show up, and I mean grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, siblings. We all roll in, and it's an entire day spent together. We're watching football all day long, and, 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 and it's an incredible experience. But here's what I learned is, is that when you come to Thanksgiving and it's family, everybody engages, Everybody jumps in. It's really fascinating. In fact, listen, 19 years old, I show up. So I've been married for 20 years. We've been to dating, you know, a couple years before that. So I'm 19 years old. I show up to this thing. And I walk in. There's people everywhere. And they're getting ready. You know, they're cooking. And they're setting up tables. And they're doing all this thing. And then somebody, when I walked in, somebody handed me a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, and a potato peeler. <laughs> and I was like... I guess I'm peeling potatoes. So I peel potatoes that year. I come back the next year, and they hand me a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, and a potato peeler. I said, I guess I'm peeling potatoes. Potatoes. I guess I'm peeling potatoes. Listen, I'm 42 years old. I'm a grown man. I'm a senior pastor of a church. I have written books. Do you know what I did at Thanksgiving? absolute true story. You know what I did Thanksgiving? You know what I'm going to do in November? You know what I did last year? I peeled potatoes. It's my thing now. It's what I do at Thanksgiving. And I'm good at it. I kid you not. I now bring my own potato peeler at Thanksgiving. It's from, it's from Japan. Full on from Japan. I bring it myself now. I'm like, where are they at? Give me the potatoes. It's a, you know, And, and, and here's the crazy thing. Not only do I, I, I don't have a passion for potatoes. I don't feel a mandate for potatoes. I don't even have a vision for potatoes. But I do have a passion for family. There's something that happens, again, I'm going to jump into why family is important in just a minute, but, but there's something about when we understand what I'm coming to as a house what I'm coming to is a family. There's something that changes in my mentality because I don't walk into a restaurant. If somebody handed me a bag of potatoes at a restaurant, I'm like, what am I paying you for? I'm paying, I am paying, I'm here because I don't want to do that. I don't walk into a house with that mentality. We're all here. And when they hand me a bag of potatoes, I don't feel called to potatoes. I do feel called to family. I got a passion for family. And I don't care what I'm doing. It's that I'm doing it with my brothers and I'm doing it with brother-in-laws and I'm doing it with aunts and I'm doing it with uncles. And my, my only goal is that I would contribute and help to make this the best Thanksgiving possible. 
That's my goal and, and whatever I do. Sometimes I think we, we have overused this passion concept. You know, whatever it is, we, we, need, we, need, you know, we need help setting up and tearing down. Ah, I just don't really have a passion for that. They, I just don't feel called to that. I'm like, I don't even know where, I, like, I don't even, what does that have to do with anything? I want you in your gifts. I want you in your passions. I want you in all that type of stuff. But when I approach family, it's a different mentality. And that's why sometimes we get frustrated. I'm just telling you, if you read the writings of Paul, it is family-based. There are other metaphors. There's an army metaphor, you know. But, but, but the majority of Paul's writings, it is family language. And I'm going to show you one of the main passages of church government is a family language. So this is the type of thing. And then here's the crazy thing, right? The crazy thing is the Thanksgiving. Uh, no, uh, nobody even thanks me. Do you know that the favorite dish is a sweet potato casserole? Granny is 96 years old, and so she doesn't make it anymore, but it comes from Granny. And um, so it's been passed down. It's the favorite dish. It's the sweet potato casserole. You know the dish at Thanksgiving where the line starts there? It doesn't matter where it is. On the t- you got to start there because you need to get that first just in case. It's that dish. Now, this happens in my head, but people will be eating that dish, and I'll be like, in my head, I'm like, you enjoying that? You're welcome. Those sweet potatoes did not peel themselves. <laughs> and not one person thanks me for peeling the potatoes, and I don't even care. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter if you thank me or not. Like, I'm here to contribute and make this the best Thanksgiving ever. And this is why when we view it as family, even when we come and say, hey, jump in and serve. If this is your family, you should be serving. Not because we're looking for employees, not because we need bodies to do labor, but because the most natural thing in family is contributing. Now listen, if you're not a family, like some of you in this room are guests. Don't, don't worry, you don't have to jump in, right? Like at, at Thanksgiving, there's three groups of people that don't serve. Kids, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, and this is not bad, but because they're immature, and immaturity makes them a little self-centered where they're just about themselves and just want to have fun. Nobody's mad at them, though. Nobody's upset that they're 10 and just want to goof off and aren't thinking about helping. Right? The other one is guests. We don't, you know, there, there's lots of times from, you know, you guys go home for, from college for Thanksgiving. You might bring a friend with you. A lot of the nieces and nephews will bring people from college to Thanksgiving. We don't expect them to serve. Just sit there. We got you. Don't even worry about it. But there's that third category that's just odd. It's usually an uncle. <laughs> and he's sitting on the couch. He's not helping at all. And then he randomly just calls people to uh, bring him stuff. Listen, that's odd. Right? It's odd. I, we're like not mad at him. But, but if I'm truly going, if we're truly going to create a family, then there has to be that thing of like, hey, if you're a guest, I have a lot of people in my church that don't serve. And I'm okay with that. I'm like, listen, you take, like, figure things out. It's okay. But when you figure out if this is family or not, then that next step is just like we jump in. Let's make this the best Thanksgiving ever. Now, this is my challenge. The reason why family is, is so important to understand is, is that, uh, let, let me read this to you real quick. 
It's important to understand what the purpose of the church is and even what the purpose of church leadership is. In Ephesians, Paul is writing Ephesians 4, two chapters after he talks about the household of God. And again, this is, this is talking about the fivefold ministry. If you don't know what the fivefold ministry is, is there's what, what the Bible says gifts that have been given to us in leadership form from Jesus, fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. That's why it's called the fivefold. There's five of them. And, uh, and so Paul's about to say, like, listen, these gifts have been given to you, but why have they been given to us? And I want you to see the family language that's in what Paul's writing. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Here's why. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, or what I would just call the normal Christian life. That every single one of you are called to do the work of the ministry. Wherever you are, it's just the normal Christian life. It has nothing to do with standing behind a pulpit. Just that we're, we're living the life. But here's the other stuff. For the edifying of the body of Christ, for encouragement, till we all come to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, some of your translation says, to a mature man. I don't want to get into this concept. He's talking about sanctification. But to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, listen to this phrase, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, here it is again, may grow up in all, in all things into him who is the head Christ. So the Christian life, the whole goal is maturity. Again, sanctification, the concept of saint, justification is that one-time legal I am now justified because of what Jesus did. It's, it's that legal moment where I'm justified. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit day in, day out, is working and transforming my life so that I look like Jesus. It's called maturing. So Jesus says, listen, I've given you the fivefold as the gifts, and here's what they're there for, to equip you, to encourage you, so that you will mature, so that you will no longer be children so that you will grow up. Okay, this is important because if you don't see the church's family, this gets stunted. If I approach the church as something other than family, then my growth in Christ gets stunted because businesses are not trying to grow me, restaurants are not trying to grow me, hotels are not trying to grow me, Family is trying to grow me. The, the, the organization in the earth whose primary purpose is growth is the family. It's the natural flow of family. It's fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters who mature and grow them until they become fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters who mature and grow them until they are fathers and mothers who have sons and daughters. It's the natural flow of family to think maturity. And I want to challenge you. You need to think maturity. Is my life growing? Do I look more like Jesus this year than I did last year? Are my responses more Christ-like? Do I think more like him? Do I act more like him? Is, is Christ being formed in me daily? That happens best in family. It just does. 
And when I come to the church and act like it's something else, I'm missing, I'm missing something. This is why for me it's always so confusing when people come to the church and are like offended that somebody's trying to get involved in their life. You know, it's like, it's like they come in and, and you're like, hey, what, what's going on? Like, whoa, whoa, why you got to be up in my business? Why do you have to like be involved in my life like that? Why would you have to like, well, because the natural flow of family is, is wanting maturity and growth. Again, I have a 13-year-old. Let's say when he was 10 or 9, he physically stopped growing. It would be cause for great concern. I would be worried about it. His sisters would be worried about it. His grandparents would be worried about it. His aunt would be worried about it. And we'd be like, I don't know what's going on. We're going to take him to the doctor. Something is wrong. He stopped growing. And the whole family would be very concerned about this. We would take him to the doctor. I don't know what's going on, but he stopped growing. This isn't normal, and we're concerned. But then we come into the church... <laughs> And uh, listen, if you're not growing, people, I'm really serious. If you have a heart to to, to mature, then you should be grateful when people are like, you know, Izzy, what's wrong? What do you mean? You haven't grown in six months. You don't look any different. Like you look the exact same now than you did six months ago. You don't look more like Jesus. Look at Izzy. Uh, Let me use... uh, uh, um, Spiritually, spiritually. They have, um, but it should be the most natural flow in the world that we're like, no, I'm, I'm greatly concerned she's died. She hates me right now. Uh, if only we didn't have history. They, um, it should be the most natural thing in the world that we are very concerned about people's growth around us. And I want people to be concerned about my growth as well. Because that's just what family does. As a parent, my main priority is the, is the maturity of my kids. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally. I, I am very concerned that they will grow and mature. I'm not mad. One of the things we have to understand is immaturity does not, like I'm not mad that my son's immature. I'm not, like, I'm not mad that he doesn't want to help at Thanksgiving. But if he doesn't want to help at Thanksgiving at 20, then we have a problem. We all have areas of immaturity in our life. Nobody's upset about that. But they do need to be headed towards maturity. That's the goal. Let me just, uh, I'm going to close quickly. I don't even know what time you guys get done, but... um, I'm just getting up, really, so I feel good at 8.30 in the morning. Let me, just, let me just say this real quick. There's one of the main signs of maturity, and this is what I would challenge you guys with. One of the main signs of maturity is something called personal responsibility. I think if there is a word that God is speaking to the church in America, it's these two words, personal responsibility. And, and one of the main signs of maturity is that I'm beginning to take personal responsibility for my life, I'm beginning to take personal responsibility for the impact I'm having, and I'm taking personal responsibility for the call of God. That I'm not looking for somebody else to do my Christian life for me. Again, if I can use the analogy of the restaurant and the house, 
When I come into a restaurant, I'm looking for somebody else to do something for me. That's why I'm there. I don't want to cook. I don't want to clean up. So I'm paying money for somebody else to do this. But, but in your Christian life, and we don't mean to do this, but, but we've set the church up in such a way where people come to church and they're looking for the fivefold not to mature them, not to equip them, but to do for them their Christian life. So I kind of come in, I'm like, I'm looking for you to do my Christian life for me. What have you built to do that for me? And we don't know we're doing this, but there's a personal responsibility that, like, I don't need somebody else to do my Christian life for me. I want to do my Christian life. I, um, my, my wife, again, just for sake of time, I'm not going to get into this, but I didn't grow up with animals. My dad was a police officer, very structured home. Animals didn't have a place in that. And I married my wife, and I full-on married a zookeeper. It's insane. <laughs> it is insane, the level of, the amount of animals we've had. As of right now, we live in suburb. We live in just suburb America. Uh, but we have two dogs. We have three bunnies. Two of them are pregnant. We have two in our garage. We have two baby chicks. Like, it's just so. But, but what she loved, I actually made a sign called CJ's Garage Farm. But, um, but what she loves is these dogs. And her favorite dog is this golden retriever. And, and she loves this dog. But when we got this dog a few years ago, um, you know, chew everything, wouldn't walk in a leash, digging everywhere, just ruining our house. So after about a year, I'm like, CJ, this is crazy. We can't, like, we've got to get this dog trained. I can't do this anymore. So I saw at PetSmart that, you know, for like $180, you can take 10 classes for dog training. I'm like, this is great. So I take my dog down there, and he doesn't walk on a leash. So it's already like he just chokes himself, like the whole time. So it's already a little bit embarrassing, but I'm like walking in, and he's just choking himself. Like, and, and I walk in, I'm like, hey, hey. And I sit down, and he's just like coughing because he just choked himself for the last five minutes. And I don't know if you've ever been to a dog training class, but you sit down in this group. The, lady, the dog trainer comes out. The lady comes out. And as she begins to start the class, what I notice is, is that she's not talking to my dog. She's talking to me. And I legitimately thought it was weird at first. I'm like, I don't know why you're talking to me. Like, I'm not the problem. <laughs> I'm not the problem here. But I thought, all right, it's an introductory class. I'll come back next week. I come back next week. And again, she was talking to me, not my dog. And I'm like, lady, listen, I'm not the problem. I need you to fix my dog. I came here. I paid money for you to fix my dog. Get my dog to walk on a leash. Get my dog to stop chewing. Get my dog to stop digging. This is what I paid you money for. And what I quickly found out, and I didn't come back, is that I quickly found out that dog trainers don't train dogs. They train people. They train people. And I'm like, I'm not here to train. I don't want to be trained. I don't want you to show me how to do my dog. I want you to train my dog. Welcome to church. <laughs> like, this is a little bit what happens, guys, is that we come in and we're like, what is it that you're doing and building to take care of my, per, my, my Christian life for me? That God has put a mandate on my life, what is it that you're doing to accomplish that? A couple examples. When we planted a church, it's very fascinating to me how this thing works because as followers of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. When you got saved, you became a follower of Jesus. There's certain things that Jesus says, listen, as a follower, here's what I'm asking of you. Pray. 
Pray for the sick. Take care of the poor. Look out for orphans and widows. Be generous. Right? These are getting community. Share your faith. Disciple others. Like this is just what the normal Christian life is. And it's amazing how many people come in and they're looking for other people to do what Jesus has asked them to do. And, and again, I found this out because four years ago we planted a church and it was simple. We're already, we have, a, we have a, a philosophy of simple church. We just, we try not to get too complicated with it. But when we started, it was like, there's not a lot going on. It was like Sundays, kids ministry, that's it. We didn't have small group structures. We didn't have the, you know, the stuff that you're, they're talking about here. And we didn't have any small groups. And, I, and I'm for all that. But it was amazing to me that people would come up and they'd be like, Hey, and these were not like new believers that were coming to our church. They were people that had been around for a while that were now wanting to come to our church. And they come like, hey, hey, how do I get, uh, how do I get plugged into community around here? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, invite somebody over to your house for dinner. <laughs> and they were genuinely like, what? No, 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 like what kind of small group structure you got going on? How do I get plugged in? And I'm like, I don't, we don't have one. Like just go to Starbucks with somebody. <laughs> and it was amazing to me how people genuinely we're like, I, what do I do? I don't know how to get plugged into community unless you build something for me. Because this is a, hear me on this, and I love all of you. It is a sign of immaturity. When, like Jesus called, listen, if, if, if your church never had a small group structure, would you still go grab people and say, God's called us to be in community with one another. God's called us to live life on life. And if my pastor never puts a small group structure on for me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go grab some people and we're going to live life on life. Because that's what followers of Jesus do. That's how we grow and mature. They might come, somebody might come and say, you know, something like, hey, my neighbor just got saved. Where's your new believers class? I'd be like, in your living room. And guess who the leader is? <laughs> I anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit <laughs> to go disciple people. And this is not harsh, right? But it's not my job to disciple your neighbor. It's my job to equip you. It's my job to encourage you. It's my job to make sure you're an effective discipler. But it's not my job to disciple your neighbor. It's your job to disciple your neighbor. And if your church now or ever doesn't have a, you know, a new believers class, it doesn't matter. Take those people, put them in your living room, walk with them, disciple them. That's a mandate on our life. The issue with the poor, and I have a grid for, for people bringing money to the church and the apostles spreading out to the poor, but this is one of those things, and guys, even I don't want to, this is not a political statement, but we're looking for the government to take care of the poor. We're looking for the church to take care of the poor. We're looking for salvation, somebody else to take care of the poor. If your church never had a program that people want to come and say, what's our church do for the poor? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing for the poor? I don't know what everybody here is doing for the poor. What they're asking is, is what's the 501c3 organization doing for the poor? And I'm like, if, if, the, if your church never had, like God calls us to take care of the poor. This is not somebody else's responsibility. It's not, it's not even the government's responsibility to take care of the poor. It's not, it's not the 501c3 organizations to take care of the poor. It's the body of Christ. It's that I have a responsibility. What am I doing about that? 
And maybe that is, maybe that is I'm giving money to organizations that are on the front lines because I can't be on the front lines. I can't start a soup kitchen, so I'm giving money to somebody who's doing a soup kitchen. Maybe that's I'm volunteering my time. Maybe that's that I'm not just walking by people and I'm getting it. Whatever it is, right? I, I don't know what God's calling you to do, but there's a sense of responsibility, of personal responsibility that says I'm not looking for somebody else to do what God's called me to do. That concept is in the family. My son, my son asked me yesterday, I mean, this is, if you're just around kids, you're like, he, I'm standing right next to him, and he's like, Dad, can you get me a water? No! You're five feet away from the refrigerator. Get up and get your own water. Right? And it's like, he thinks it's like, a, you know, honestly, and it's not that I don't mind serving him, but, but that's that mentality. Are you all with me on this? Let me wrap up. I'm, I'm going to wrap up. Um, I, I, would just, I would just say this, that we have to move. I tell you, when the church operates as a family, it's extremely attractive. I think healthy family is one of the most attractive things in the world. It really is. And when people encounter you, when they come in here, they can tell right now. Am I just here to be served? Am I just here to, to kind of bring my tithe and have somebody do something for me? Or are we here believing in one another and serving one another and, and jumping in? And, like, does this feel like Thanksgiving? There's got to be, this is the big one, that maturity looks like moving from an externally motivated life to an internally motivated life. We don't even realize it, but we are externally driven people. But, but you've got to move to internal. And this is my quick synopsis. The Old Testament is an externally driven model. So the Old Testament says, Izzy, obey your parents. And she goes, what if I don't want to? Then we will stone you. <laughs> That's the Old Testament model. I'm going to externally motivate you to obey your parents. But Jesus comes and the new covenant is actually a higher standard because the new covenant is now internally motivated. So Jesus comes and says, hey, you know, in the Old Testament, it's like, don't have sex unless you commit adultery. In the New Testament, it's like, don't lust unless you, have, unless you commit adultery. In the New Testament, it's like, don't commit the act of murder. In the New Testament, it's like, don't hate unless you're murdered. Because he's dealing with an internal reality. And the reason he can deal with an internal reality is because we now have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we have to become internally motivated people. People that are driven by the Holy Spirit, not having to constantly be, you know, somehow externally motivated to give, externally motivated to get in community, externally motivated to whatever. We've got to move into an internally motivated thing. And when we begin to take responsibility and say this is an environment that's not upset with immaturity, but is requiring that you're moving forward in maturity. Right? Are you with me on this? And that we really begin to take responsibility. Even right now, um, last example is, is that many people, if you go to a church, every church is going to have greeters. Like literally there are greeters outside when you walk in today. And you're trying to make people feel welcome and you're trying to make people feel loved. But, but it's not just a greeter ministry responsibility if I think of it as a home. If I think of this as a home, if this is my house, there's not a chance somebody is coming into my house and doesn't feel welcomed, loved, taken care of. 
and I don't care what your personality is. You can be the most introvert, shy person on the planet. If you own a home and you throw a party and they show up, you're greeting them at the door, how you doing? And, no, and nor would you ever let them sit by themselves. At Thanksgiving, because I told you people bring other people, you know, they bring in. This just happened last Thanksgiving. There was two basketball players. My, my nephew plays basketball. And so he brought two of his friends there from international. And they were just sitting over by themselves. And my wife's like, go get those guys. Like, you, we do not let, like, I, I would never walk by somebody at Thanksgiving who's a guest sitting by himself and just let him sit there. I'd stop. Hey, how you doing? Do you not know anybody here? Come on, come with me. You peel potatoes? Let's do this. So, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I would never, I would be mortified if in my house somebody would come in and sit there. And I'm not thinking, well, the greeters, they need to do a better job. Greeters obviously miss this, so I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what we're paying them for. Uh, right? No, 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 I'm not going to walk by anybody. And there should never be anybody that walks into this place and isn't, and isn't talked to by 10 people, by 15 people, every time, you know. Like, there's no way. You're going to walk in this place. If you're by yourself, you're sitting with me. If you're like, and I'm going to introduce you to a bunch of people, and we're going to figure out this out. Because this is my house, because this is our house, because this is Thanksgiving. We're jumping in. We're contributing. We're taking personal responsibility both for our life. I'm not looking for somebody else to do my Christian life for me. I'm not looking for somebody else to somehow reach people or love people or care for people. I'm not looking for somebody else to set up and tear down. I'm not looking for somebody else to do that. Never would I sit there, again, I, this, I'm not, I, I gotta stop. Never would I sit there at Thanksgiving, though, and just go like, hey, who's setting those tables up? Why is anybody setting those tables up? I don't know. Let's watch TV. Like, it would just never happen. Are you tracking with me on that? All right. Stand up with me. I tell you, I think the most fulfilled Christians are those that are actually engaging their Christian life at this level. It's one of the most fulfilling things in the world to say, I don't want other people to live my Christian life for me. I want to live my Christian life for me. I want to lean in and say, God, what is it that you're asking me to do with community? What is it that you're asking me to do with the poor? What is it that you're asking me to do with discipleship? What is it that you're asking me to do with giving? I want to lean into that because that's the most rewarding and fulfilling Christian life is one where I'm taking personal responsibility for my life and moving into this thing. And I don't need somebody else to do it. I don't need somebody else to say hello and bring somebody in that's sitting next to me. So God, I'm just asking, not, not just for this church, I want it for this church for sure. But Lord, you put a bunch of leaders in this room. This is a room full of leaders. It's a room full of people who are going to shape the future of the church. And God, society has somehow told us that our maturity is somebody else's responsibility. But Lord, just today, God, we take responsibility for this. We want to mature we want to grow. If nobody ever builds a small group structure, we're going to go find community and get life on life. We're going to find people that aren't connected to community and we're going to go grab them and bring them into community. We're going to let people in our lives. We're going to get in their life. We're going to look around at people that need to be discipled and we're going to disciple them. We're going to take responsibility for the down payments. This isn't somebody, this is my house. 
So we chip in and say, God, we want to give financially and want to give our time and energy, not because it's a chore, but because we feel a passion for family. We don't mind peeling potatoes if that's what it takes. We don't mind peeling potatoes if that's what it takes just to see this the best Thanksgiving ever. God, I just pray you'd shift something in us that we'd be a part of seeing the church in America shift around this idea. May we never approach the church as a business. May we never approach the church as a restaurant. May we never approach it as a hotel. May we always approach it as a house, as a family. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Banning. Thank you so much for being with us. Guys, give your hand another round of applause. I don't know about you, but the thought of doing church like a family excites me. It's, it's really a daunting task to think about doing it any other way. It's really arduous and counterproductive, guys. So we have, um, you know, we, we have some tricky times ahead of us. This is a fast-changing family, if you would. And so you have a very brief moment, a couple months to plug in uh, to a, a family and be part and contribute here at this house and we want to invite you in we're I'm so grateful for this message to hear from a pastor who has really the heart of a pastor really I mean because this just this is so is in my heart we've been talking extensively throughout the last couple Sundays about topics just like this and and listen guys the last thing we want to do is course and 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 kind of manipulate anybody into this. This is really like a free like will offering, like just joining in, attaching and identifying with uh, this local body. And it's tricky because we are so, we, this is such a transient city, but what an opportunity to be countercultural. And guys, this leads us to our next step. We get to be countercultural right now in our giving because we want to bless Banning. I mean, this was a last minute thing. I mean, to have him here is such a blessing to our community. Um, and so we want to we want to return. We want to respond and also be a blessing. So my wife is going to lead us through a couple practical things, and then if the ushers can get ready for this uh, task, you guys can be seated. But we're just going to take an offering. Uh, worship team, if you want to come up, uh, we'll play a little uh, emotional music behind this offering. It should be good. And um, honey. So here in this family, one of our primary love languages is giving gifts. (laughs) Um, We definitely, we love to give and we love to give generously um, and it's a joy to give. And so um, it's a blessing that we could sow into Banning's life and Banning's ministry. And so as a family today, we want to have Banning leave Boston with blessing and, and with increase. So Father, we thank you that you truly are a God of extravagance. Lord, that there is always more than enough with you. Lord, that there is no lack. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, in our lives, God, you give so generously and you give so lavishly. And God, we say we want to manifest your kingdom in generosity. God, we want to manifest your kingdom in extravagance. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that, Lord, you are the ultimate giver, that you gave your son, that you gave your life 
Jesus. And Lord, we say that we want to be people that model what it is to give freely and to give extravagantly. And Father, I ask, Lord, even as we have seen such extravagance, even with our building fund, that in less than a month from this small community, over $100,000, God, we we thank you, Father, that we truly are people that understand that finance is a seed. And so, God, I thank you, Lord, that today we have the opportunity with our finance to sow seed into banning, Lord, into the the life and the ministry of banning. You know what I want you guys to do? We're going to sow seed, but I want you all in one accord. We're just going to pray specifically over banning's life and what God has called him to do for exponential increase, that we might be sowing a seed of finance, but even as he really came with a a pastoral word, there is a word that is inside of Banning's heart that is desperately needed in our our generation. He both has the the gifts of the Spirit, the understanding of the movement of the Holy Spirit, but he has sound doctrine in the teaching and the disseminating of the Word, which is so desperately needed. So before we sow our finances, we're not going to just wait for Bethany to pray. We're all going to lift our voice. We'll go Korean style. And I want you to pray for the release and the outpouring of increase upon Banning's life in ministry. Father, we thank 